Good afternoon, everyone, and uh, welcome to Sunday Sessions, 20th of December, the day before Yule in 2020. Well, thank you all for uh, joining me, those of you who are on board. It's uh, lovely to join because there's a lot of uh, events on this afternoon online. And this is our weekly time of exploring nature-centered folklore, connecting this within your favorite sanctuary space, and expressing your inspired visions from your sanctuary through your poetry, writing, art, craft, performance, and any problem solving. Now, today's uh, Sunday session is Yulog Tales. And there's a picture of that for the solstice time of turning the darkness into light. Now, I'm going to be sharing stories and inspirations featuring the, the Dagda, the Doida, and the Three Hags, our solstice time of hope, blessing, Uh, right, I think we're back on now. Sorry, we, this happened to us last week, didn't it? Anyway, there's uh, Susan Farrell for you uh, there, and um, she's got her lovely uh, book there, you see, uh, My Home Place Inheritance. So we'll be talking about that. Uh, we got lovely Maura Barrett. She's been on and she's uh, done some poems for us uh, in the past, and she's in the green room right now. And then we've got, um, at the last minute, Fergus Hogan, who a uh, beautiful poet, uh, and he posted a lovely Thanksgiving, not Thanksgiving, uh, your uh, midwinter poem uh, on Facebook. So I got hold of him, please, you must perform that, because I saw him perform it a few years ago in a, an event in Waterford. Beautiful poem, so we'll have that as well. So let's have a... A quick look who's with us at the moment. Uh, Claire, I know she's here. She's actually out in the garden here, and I was going to uh, be broadcasting this in the garden, but the internet was weak out there because the weather's actually lovely out there at the moment. Um, so uh, who else we got? Donna's here. Lovely, happy solstice, Donna, New Mexico. And we've got Monica in Pennsylvania. Thanks for being on board here. And Lisa Ann, blessed you from Glastonbury. So we're privileged there. Uh, lovely. Oh, hang on, there's Keith. I saw his name come up somewhere. Uh, he tends to have connections with Glastonbury. But there he is. Solstice greetings 
uh, from Wales. So thank you all and thank you everybody else who's uh, come on board. So I better get moving here. Now the uh, doida, the dagda and the three hags. Now I've probably told you all kinds of variations of this in Sunday sessions uh, this year, but this is really the time to tell this story. And I probably know at least eight different versions of this, um, of the local Morrigan and Doida Dagda mating stories. That's just eight local stories. So I'm going to spend a few minutes sharing my favorite one. And uh, But there's another version that I like. And uh, it's because the location is the Morrigu, uh, Morrigan or Morrigu being of one of nine sisters. And there is actually a story, uh, rather than crows, that actually links her to swans. And this is actually in the Unshin, uh, because uh, there is a story there of her washing, being the washer of the ford, washing the bloody clothes, actually with her legs astride in the Unshin there. Anyway, the version I like best uh, is, uh, it starts as a local well. Oh, and there's another one of the Unshin here. Uh, that's, that's a wide part of it. I think that's a beautiful part. And I have to show you this one because um, uh, Robin Williamson's in it. You see him at the, he's kind of at the back there. And he didn't believe that Moitura actually existed. He thought it was just a mystical place. Uh, oh, Fergus has arrived. Thanks. Hi, Fergus. And uh, so I said, come on, let's have a day's workshop. And I'm going to take you around Moitura because one of his albums is the Deeds of the Tour de Donnan. And here we are on the bridge, possibly at near the estuary, possibly at the point where one of the stories of the Morrigan, the Morrigo, actually having her la uh, legs stretched. And the, the swans are just below the uh, bridge there. So uh, I had to show that one. <coughs> Excuse me. So onto the version I like, because it starts at the local well near here, near Karakrori. It's less than two miles away. But I'm going to start with the uh, Kishkoran Caves, uh, which is a... Uh, it's a hill with uh, many caves. Here we go. And those caves were formed by the sea, believe it or not. And the pounded through, you know, the water went through the caves, bang, 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 because this was the sea forming after the ice age was melting thousands of years ago, maybe a million years ago. I don't know. But it said the water pound through and it went through and through and went right through to the other world. And it awoke what the locals call the white hag. Uh, in the other world, and some call the hag, some of you there will call the hag the, uh, the kayak, uh, or some people say kayak. Um, it's different pronunciations wherever you are, even the inner and outer Hebrides. In the Hebrides, it's the kayak, outer Hebrides is the kayak, uh, so even variations like that. But the uh, corn rose out, up, 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 like I was showing on that picture there the mouse doesn't stick, uh, up and up and up, and uh, the water filled the womb uh, in the other world here, and it, it pushed up that hill, uh, as I mentioned there. Uh, and her womb uh, inside, uh, let's go through the name, Morna Korakuen is the one I love. So you've got more for the large and into infinity, the Cori, the vessel, which can be a cauldron, it can be a valley, it can be the hollow inside a mountain or a hill. And then they got the kun, which is the place of the quiet weaving. Uh, so together in the Monokora kun, and say that quickly, and what do you come up with? Monokora kun, Monokora kun, Morgan, 
that's the way I put it. Anyway, there's the Morigu, um, Moriku, the infinite garden, guardian queen. And we have the Morigu, which is the infinite garden queen that's featured in uh, W.M. Hennessy's War Goddess book. There's an old thing, because it came out in 1870, so there's a cover from that. Now, you may uh, know her better, of course, as I say, as the Morrigan, so let's get up uh, various, a banner of all the different spellings that I've just sort of muttered and, and grumbled. There you go. There they all are. And uh, take your pick. But let's, um, I, I'm going to bring on some other characters. Um, in this tale of Dagda. We've got to bring on Dagda, don't we? And uh, there's a bit of Dagda, I think. Yeah, there we go. And uh, well, he's just known very much as the good god of the Tour de Donnan. Um, and uh, I first learned of him in the Scottish Highlands. Uh, let's see if I can get it. In the Scottish Highlands, as the servant of the Doida. Uh, a hag who lived in the berg, and that berg is the mountain there. Uh, it's on the Isle of Mull, and it's part of the Aragale. Let's get up another banner to give you some spellings. There you go, the Aragale, Argyle. Again, if you say Aragale uh, in a Scottish action fast, you get to the Argyle. And that is, uh, I actually live there. We actually, when we went, uh, uh, lived on Mull. See where the phone box is, just up there. A bit further up, we actually had a mobile home until we got a cottage. We were there uh, for a few months, so what a view. So that's where I kind of got associated very much with the Doida. I think I've got another picture. Here it is. This is up close, um, taken from uh, a small boat uh, on uh, Loch Screeden there. Um, better womb, their Doida's uh, womb. It spurted the waterfalls, as you can see, from the berg. And it said that she would come out through the waterfalls and dance with passing souls on the sea there. So, as I say, shortened Doidish uh, is said he was known in that area and in the Hebrides as the servant of the Doida. And that seems to have shortened to become the Doida. Maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong that over in Ireland, Doida became Dagda. But how that came about is really another story. And obviously, it's very controversial with uh, Irish storytellers. So, Doida, the good dog, uh, good god of the Tour de Donnan, good god because of the harvest. And uh, he carried his uh, cauldron. Um, let's get some. There we go. Got a cauldron pick there. Uh, big man. He's no harp there. He's just got that club and the cauldron in that picture. Uh, but it never went, it never, nobody went hungry. Everybody immediately got food and. This was from the harvest, so uh, it never emptied. It just kept refilling. Uh, but uh, Doida uh, is also, we know him for carrying a harp, um, the harp known as the Withner. And I haven't got any pictures of the Withner. It had four corners on it, and it said that the four corners conducted the four seasons of the year. So that's the nearest I could get to the sort of thing he could have that you could put into the wind and it'd be like a kind of a wind harp. Um, so uh, have I got something? Apparently, I got something else to show you on that. Have I given you the different things? Here's the different doida. If I can come on, there you go. There's the different spellings of what we're talking about. Doida, dagda, dagda, two different spellings. So uh, with his Wesner, 
And that again has lots of different pronunciations. That's my favorite name. I just love it. It's almost like, sounds like the wind going through it. Wisner. Wisner, as some people say, but I like the Wisner with it. And with that, he enchanted people. Um, and he, uh, let's get on to the picture. And with the three strains, three strains of enchantment. I love this artist's impression. Oh, like stone, uh, the three strains. Uh, there was the uh, getting up. Uh, this is what I'm going to be explaining to you. I've got lots of banners for this, don't I? Uh, not the Dagda. Let's try the next one. Let's try this one. Oh, here's the Wisner if you want the spelling. Dagda's Harper, Wisner there. And uh, but here we go the three strains. We have the Goitri, uh, the Enchantment of Sorrow, uh, Melancholy, the Underworld, and Enchantry, the Enchantment of the Joy, Dancing, and the Light. And the sword tree uh, being the enchantment of the dreaming. And I think I've got a lovely artist impression of sword tree here. I love this one, if I can get it. There we go. There's the sword tree uh, with the uh, dreaming there. Um, okay. Uh, trend, uh, dreaming, transition, changing the realm from... It's that realm sitting between the light and the dark anyway. Now, there's a few stories about people stealing... Oh, that's the one I, I wanted, yes. That's the uh, the uh, one of the Sauntry, if I can knock the banner out. Uh, there we go. We have the Sauntry there. Um, but anyway, there's a few stories about people trying to steal Dagda's, Dagda's harp and his cauldron of plenty. And he also carried, you see, the club there to ward off the marauders who attempted to steal that. Right, I'm getting my other pictures laid out. Now, this Dagda story, important today, on this day just before the moment of solstice. And this story commences at Sawan, um, a time when the Doida was quite exhausted. Annually, he's quite exhausted at this time from carrying and serving from that cauldron of plenty. It's almost like the Santa Claus of the food pot, isn't it? Um, but he traveled to a spring well. And as I say, it is near here. I should have a, a nice spring well uh, picture for you uh, nearby. This is it. This is just a – now, it's a lovely spring well. It bubbles. It's clean water all year round. And uh, it's where he always aimed for. It's where he could drink the water and revive his weakened spirit and energy so that he could continue to serve the people their food uh, through the winter. But just after once and one, as Doida approached the well to revive himself and his weakness, there were three, and there's always three, isn't there? There was three dark cloaked women crouched over the well, and they were bubbling. The well was bubbling, and they were washing clothes. And Doida looked at himself, and he noticed that he was, he was shocked because he was naked. These women were actually washing his clothes. And though it doesn't show in the picture, I've got something related more in the picture, but they were covered in blood. So after a conversation, I'm actually going to skip because it's a, a large section of the story, it was revealed to the Doida that these three women were known as the Maregna. And uh, the human incarnation of the Morna Coracue and the Moricue, the Moriga, Morrigan, I gave you spellings uh, a bit earlier of that. 
But their own names, I, I better pull up the ba uh, banner because they can be variations on this. Uh, there we go. Uh, these are the three names. The Bev, the Rock, Maka, the Fire, and Fee, or Fee, the Water, sometimes Nemim. But I like Fee uh, best of all, I think, for pretty obvious reasons. I knew some Fees. Uh, they were a traveler family up in Sutherland in Scotland, and they were blonde. They were very blonde, the whole of them. And uh, you, the conversation immediately it went into divination and a kind of clairvoyance. They'd always tell you uh, something about you as you were approaching, something was about to happen. They were sort of like natural prophecy people, fortune tellers. Anyway, I better move on. And they told, uh, they told the, the doida, the dagda, uh, that uh, this year it was fatal for him. And um, as his bravery was actually really sleeping away, his fertility spirit that created the harvest and abundance had left his body. And they told the doy that it's time for him to ride to Tiranonorg to renew his youth there forever. But if he wanted to stay in this earth realm and return his stamina and bravery and return the fertility spirit to him so uh, he could create harvest and abundance, he's got to follow the three hags of the Marigna through the caves into the hill. And I love this one. I I call this picture the Destiny Clone. There we go, Destiny Clo Destiny's Clone, there we go. If you're into sort of pop music, you'll know why I've uh, used that one. Anyway, <laughs> they go through the clothes, uh, the caves. Uh, there's, I like this entering the caves picture here. There's a river running through that one. And actually, we if you go through that particular cave, not many people do, and you look through the gap, you actually see a pool of water as if it's the the lock that I'm going to be talking about. Anyway, before they left um, for the well, another hag uh, goddess turned up, uh, Gronya. This is an artist's impression. Uh, she appeared, named as the goddess that ripened the harvest. She also had a cauldron. And she filled it up from Doida's dagger's pot so she could continue to feed the people, animals, and birds throughout the winter. Now, as uh, Doida entered the, uh, I keep calling him Doida, it's just a habit, sorry if you prefer the dagger. Uh, the human forms of uh, Bev, Maka, and Fee, they became the rock and the pool of the rough of the lake, the lock lake in the middle of the hill uh, in Kishkoran there. And Doida was now in the Morna Korakuan womb of the kayak, uh, or kayak, if you prefer that one. And uh, he still had his cauldron and uh, a harp and club, and nobody was going to take any of those away from him. Now, a little bit about the lock there, the Onyushki uh, Shiga. Onyushki Shiga, if you can catch that. Water of the she. Uh, there's wonderful stories of how it got there and how each spring the water overflows, how four rivers were originally created to fertilize Ireland. But these are stories I'm going to leave for the Imbolc tales uh, that have been a couple of months. And that will include the births of Breed and Corin as well. Anyway, uh, the Doida Agda uh, stayed there. And by the lock, he just bathed and played his Withna harp. If in case you got that's his name for the harp, if you haven't got the drift of that. And each day the water was getting warmer. The doider had no idea about days or night, and he had no 
desire to return to the outside with the oncoming winter. He was relaxed there. Uh, he, he just uh, loved uh, being there. Is this something of relevance? Uh, yeah, that's his part. Uh, uh, anyway, I've got that picture in for some reason. We'll find out why in a minute. But the voices of the Marigna asked him to start adding, there it is, adding uh, more of his porridge stuff in his part from his cauldron, put it into the water, and then the more he put in, it bubbled away, and uh, it gave off light. The pool gave off uh, light, and he stirred it with his club. And when he bathed during the days after adding from his cauldron, each time he, he bathed, he sensed a feeling of feeling closer, uh, connected to the water, and each day it was actually getting warmer too. And the warmth was created from the fire in the water that I have been told of is called the Phylloctera. There we go. Uh, that's my sort of artist's impression, my own one uh, of the Phylloctera. I'm going to try and get some banners because uh, this is going to be important. For I'm going to try and explain something to you here um, because... Um, Uh, you might be familiar with the uh, Fulop flower. If I can just pull this up, the Fulop flower pictures. There we go. Uh, there's one here, I think. And these are talked of as being a kind of a cooking vessel. You see the square thing there, and there's the well next to it. And it was said that they put hot stones into the water. The, the water would get hot, and they would put meat in it, and the meat would be cooked. My own attitude to that is... Damn it, I think I'd put it on a spit. <laughs> and <laughs> because of all that fire and material used to heat the stones in the first place, just get the thing cooked. But there is uh, another story to this that um, uh, around this time, and it dawned on me uh, when I saw a report a couple of years ago that Eastern Europeans are getting concerned because this is the time of year when there's natural yeast in the air. And they do a lot of brewing at this time, cider mainly, uh, some ale. But this is the time of the making of that. And there's kind of a reliance on that and there's reliance on making a bit of uh, fire in order to do it. So this is their time of brewing. And I think that's where you get the link with breeder and brewing. It kind of got twisted uh, with that. So that's my thought on that. And this is kind of imitating the idea of the fluctuation in the middle. It's the heat. It's the brewing, and this is exactly, I think, what was happening to the dagger uh, in the center there, if that kind of makes uh, sense to you there. Um, okay, I'm just switching stuff around here. Um, Got to move on pretty quickly here. Whoops, I don't know why that's come up. Uh, right, okay, pictures, uh, pictures, pictures. There we go. I've got more photos for you. So back to the Dagda. Each day, the lark, the un, uh, the unyuk whisker, Shigo, it was warming with the added gruel from his cauldron. It was fermenting. It was brewing. And this point of solstice, which we know is going to be tomorrow here, it came up to almost boiling point. And as he was bathing then, he realized he was a total union with the water. And the grand conception happened. The conception with the kayak inside her moor and the coracuan, the moricue, the morigrew, the morrigan, again, whatever is your favorite. Now, before I go, that, that is pretty much the completion of that, the grand conception. And you'll have to wait until Imbolc for me to continue 
what happened after their conception. But before I go, I'm going to quickly add another version. As I say, I know eight of them from around here, uh, of the Morrigan Dagdamatin. And this is very short form. And you're probably aware of the Second Battle of Moitura, said to be fought over uh, three days and uh, uh, so on. And... Um, well, I think it was over three months, not three days. So on to Embolk, we got three months. And this story of the Second Battle of Moitura, as it's told, I think is very symbolic. But in this story, Dagda had become weak, as the other stories. Became, he had become enslaved by the Fomorians, the advancing Fomorians. And uh, his slavery was to help them build a new court for the High King being transferred from Tara to right here in County Sligo. Now, during the uh, second month of the battle, he went to the water uh, and uh, at the river in Shin, and uh, there was a Morrigan with the legs astride, but he's not, she's not got the legs astride here. But again, she was on the bank washing his uh, bloody clothes. And I think I got another one that was quite nice. There you go. That's an, uh, an artist image of him. She's actually bathing herself there, but anyway. I thought that was pretty neat to throw that in as well. So similar proposition. And it's funny, that it's always the women, the solstice, that are making the propositions. Take a note of that. And uh, sleep with her a while. His stamina and bravery would return. And he would join in the battle uh, on Second Battle of Moitura to help them win the day against the Fomorians. Well, it did work. And after being... Uh, I, probably a month, I suppose. They say a night in the stories. I say a month. Uh, but Doug, Doug, he was at a new peak of stamina, new man, and off to Moitura he went. And there was a battalion on the east side because the battle was on the west side. And they were fast asleep on the edge of the hill, sleep nowhere. There was even a battle going on. And uh, he rose them up and said, come on, there's a battle. And, of course, this story is told of the Bronze Age. They're bronze swords. They say swords, but they were short daggers. They just had a, a, a way of working with their shields and the daggers. And they said that they fought naked, uh, fighting in general, naked, in, uh, brave people. But as the Dagger and the battalion, they enter the battlefield, Dagger full of his new spirits and his new stamina. And Janet, they're out naked, brave in January. And they were on the battlefield, and soon as the Fomorians saw them, the Fomorians turned around and they ran away because after his time with the Morrigan, the Dagda had the biggest dagger of them all. That's as much as I'm going to say about that one. So what are you saying at the moment before we move on? Um, what a beautiful spring well it is. I wish I could say more. I will say more uh, about that another time. Uh, Shell, happy solstice to you. Good morning, uh, all the faithful sisters, Sherry, Lisa Ann, blessed Jewel from Glastonbury. Oh, we've, uh, hello, I think I've covered all the rest of you. Lovely, thank you uh, for being here. Uh, this is absolutely delightful, fantastic. Uh, right, I gotta move on very quickly. Um, now, the Sunday sessions, I call it Yule Log Tales. I'm really, I'm not, I, I suppose I'm not really going to talk that much about Yule Logs. I've got one little bit. But uh, the running theme is indeed the transition from the old annual cycle into the new one, 
which is the burning of a Yule log. So let's get a, a Yule log picture up just to set the scene here. There we go. There's someone, I think, dragging a Yule log there. And uh, let's get into Right, that's it, Yule log. Uh, so the annual cycle with the Yule log and certainly symbolic. Uh, the Yule log tradition is Norse. Um, I kind of uh, like this one uh, because the one thing to say about the Yule log and I couldn't find a picture of it, is the Yule log is actually wrapped up in birch uh, twigs and it's woven around it because oak uh, doesn't take off in the fire very quickly, so it needs kindling. And the birch is sparked, so it's a heck of a fire. Anyway, this is a sort of decorated Yule log. You might be doing something like that. But the Yule uh, log itself, um, am I ahead of myself here? Um, don't think so. Yes, I am. I'm sort of right. The tradition is Norse anyway. And from a Nordic word, Yule, which with a J, J O L, Yule. Uh, maybe that's why the Yule got to South USA. I don't know. Uh, but the Saxons turned this around to become Jule, J E O L, Jule, meaning Christmas Day, uh, a season of hunting uh, because they're not in the gardens, they're not growing. And I assume that's where our word jolly, did our jo word jolly come from? The J-O-L, y'all, y'all. Up to you uh, to think uh, on that one. Uh, let's get some more logs going here. And it, it will take a whole Sunday session to tell you uh, your log stories. And um, I, I better move on. <laughs> uh, I wanna get, I'm eager to get the guests on. But the uh, womb of uh, Freya seems to be in all the your log stories. Coming up to solstice, Freya is said to be mourning the cold uh, because the embers in her womb are just there. They're lifeless. And uh, she is said to call out for the need of a good fiery log. Let's get her a good fiery log on board. There we go. Uh, to reignite her embers. She, she was calling for a long log, a log that would burn for hours and hours. Perhaps she needed Dagda. Anyway, but Odin came along and served her well. That's what I heard anyway. But a lot of Norse myth followers said, well, Odin's too busy continually fighting Zeus and Thor, so he hasn't got time to go mating. But I was told, yes, he mated uh, the Yule and uh, served Freya. Anyway, as I understand it, the Yule log is the log of Odin. Uh, that's the way I'm told. And it's burnt in the hearth for... Uh, let's see, let's get it burning in the hearth here, uh, for 15 days up until Epiphany. And then the traditions uh, reduced to 12 hours. Now I believe it's 12 minutes it'll do, and that's still a miracle, I suppose. But the Yule log um, uh, should be a fallen oak, which uh, used to be kindled, as I say, with the dancing sparks of the birch wood. And then once an oak is ignited, there's just no stopping it. So today, um, consumerism has entered the traditions. And uh, have I got that right? Yeah. And uh, there's dragged the log. Uh, the dragged log has dropped off. Well, it was dropping off presents. I think this is what this log might have been doing. So instead of just being dragged for the fire, it's got to have presents coming out uh, for children to pick up. And I think the whole tradition of presents today really came out of that. So that's as much as I think I better say uh, about your logs. But there's one thought. 
And that is about our emotion of hope at this time. And most of us feel that the solstice and Christmas time is a time of wishes. But I feel it's also a time of healing and fair play for those that are less fortunate around us. And people, especially in Ireland, are very generous at this time of year. But with the politics and the health situation around us, I think hope has become a very powerful word for change to something of a more comfortable status for people in situations where they're just full of hope. And to me, hope is about recognizing and even trying to hold on to fragments those small pleasures in our life and focus on those rather than tune into the sorrows. There's big issues with uh, bringing on sorrows. Uh, obviously, the feeling uh, of virus, politics, it seems hopeless. But if you look around you, there are little fragments of hope and we can focus on them. And like the current weather forecast here is not for any more rays. We've got rays of sunshine, but... Tomorrow morning, uh, the solstice is supposed to be quite cloudy and showery here, but there is still a ray of sunshine in it. And I hope in the morning, the solstice morning, that you are going to wake up with some ray of sunshine. And that ray of sunshine could even be a lovely memory that you, you know, it's amazing how memories, when you bring them into the prophecy of your present, they transform your life back again. And they're part of you. And you are what you do for the rest of this winter uh, until the blossoms come out in spring. Anyway, I am going to, uh, we're, we're going to start on the guests now. And uh, I'm going to bring up, uh, I didn't bring up a picture earlier because it was the last minute. We're going to have Fergus. Is Fergus there? Yes, Fergus is there. And it's, uh, I think he brought the book out only last month. So we'll talk about that. Bit and cry, and he's going to share a poem with that. So I'm going to grab my headphones so I can actually hear someone. So excuse me a minute as I get the headphones geared in. Uh, otherwise, it would have squeaked, squeaked away. I hope that's okay. So let's bring on Fergus. Um, hello, Fergus. How are you doing? Hello, John. Good morning. Hello. Nice, good good morning. Yeah, uh, John, it's so good to see you looking so well and for sharing so such great stories with us. Um, a blessed solstice to you, John, and uh, and hello to our good friend Claire too. Um, John, yeah, she's in the garden, she's what? <laughs> ah, lovely, lovely. Um, and John, you'll also know, uh, uh, because I've shared this with you, that our son, our 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 sixteenth month, our sixteen months old son, uh, his name is Dagda. And uh, you were one of the very first people to begin explaining the meaning of that name to me. So thank you, John. No, oh, that's very handy. Uh, I wonder, if, is he learning the harp yet? No, not yet. He does love music. And he's lent me, can you see it? His club. Where <laughs> of course, the, uh, the first thing a, a young person will get is the club. That's beautiful. Thanks, John. Brilliant. Thanks, John. <laughs> John, I have, a, I have a small poem for the day uh, and the night that's, that's here with us now, the winter solstice, and, and I might share it with you. Um, that's the one, you. yes. Thank you, brother. Winter solstice. All winter long I search for crystals vibrating, bright as a poem of self-forgiveness. As the sun goes down, I dig through roots of trees, 
fallen in the silence of solitude after too many nights left alone, leaning towards the pull of the moon. I gather windfallen firewood and a yule log. I build a fire and light it out of nothing at all. Remember elders gone before me. Stone struck against stone, I lift the sparks in cupped hands like prayers. I breathe flames into bits of silver birch bark, dry moss and twigs. This night, I keep the fire company till the first light of new dawn. Oh, it's gorgeous to see that again. Another reminder is from uh, Bitten Cry. Am I right? You've, it looks like you've only just brought that out. Is that correct? It does look like that, John. But I'll tell you, it was this time last year that it was. Oh, August. I thought it was November this yeah. year. Sorry. But it got a whole new lease of life through you, John, and other people online. You know, when we were, when we were at home, uh, locked in, staying safe. Uh, there's been so many people that are as generous like you to allow poets read and storytellers share online. So it's, it's kind of survived its, its first year. Uh, thanks to you, John. Well, thanks for coming on last minute. And uh, as I say, I'm, I'm kind of, as usual, I'm behind on everything. We're going to have to get you again because it's always a treat to get uh, a poem from you. Uh, so thanks for that. Too short as usual, but we'll have you again and have a wonderful solstice there, Fergus. You it's too. Lovely. All the you best too. and all the best to your family and daddy, your son. Thank you Thank very you much. Too. Thanks. Thank you. And uh, we have uh, Margie, who's just come on board, I think. Uh, if I got, there we go. Hi, Margie. Uh, season's greeting, Dan and Margie. Sherry, as I say in your poem, it really was uh, from Fergus. I, I saw him perform that, and it was lovely again to get that. Uh, we saw him perform that down in Waterford at a gig. And uh, he's, that was the one poem that really bowled me over at the time. Anyway, we're going to move on uh, to... Uh, Susan now, uh, absolutely wonderful. Susan, uh, if I can get the introduction up uh, for her, uh, because we're going to get a, a... I had to throw her off too, too quickly uh, last time she was here, and it looks like I haven't even got her... Uh, anyway, we'll get her to uh, introduce a, a beautiful book, and uh, I mentioned uh, earlier we... Uh, where is Susan? I got the, I did have a picture uh, of, there we go. We have this lovely My Home Place Inheritance. And it's absolutely gorgeous because what Susan does is this. She goes into storytelling and I tended to uh, relate to it because it was like my own childhood and going through it. And, uh, it, and I think a lot of people reading this, they'll be going back to their childhood. And, and then all of a sudden, she comes out with a recipe and explains the putting together of it. And you can literally, just by reading the book, smell the food coming out of the book. So uh, let's bring on Susan. Uh, good afternoon, Susan. Lovely to have you again. Hello, John. How are you doing? Uh, brilliant. So it's great because last time you came on for a minute. Right. Thanks, Susan. Bye. <laughs> so uh, we've got you for a few minutes this time. And uh, you said you'd like to read a bit that was relative to this. Yeah, yeah um, I'm going to read the little passage about Christmas. Um, and, and it's not for, very long, but my, my dad's still alive and, and he's 95. And 
talking to him now, um, I sort of understand why we had a very sort of low-key, quiet Christmas. He told me that when he was a young man, and this is pre-war, um, Halloween was a bigger deal than Christmas. And I think that has to be a throwback um, to previous pre-Christian times. And um, and it's for me, it's explained why we had such, such a quiet Christmas. But we had one anyway. So I'm going to read this little bit from the book that John has mentioned to you. Um, I'm not um, offering a recipe at this stage, but it's just to bring us into the season. Usually we didn't have visitors for Christmas. It was more often a low-key affair with stockings in the morning and then Christmas lunch. So the year when Auntie Bessie, dressed in her fur coat, entered our decked out living room as if she was were the queen, was very special. Auntie Bessie stood and smiled at us with her handbag over one arm and a shopping bag full of presents over the other. In her hands, she very carefully held a deep square cake tin. It was her home-baked Christmas cake, weighing half a stone, her contribution to the festivities. My mother carefully took the cake and placed it on the dining table, set out for the occasion in the living room, among the crackers and the good cutlery. She prized off the tight lid and the Christmas aroma floated out and all around the room, and everyone seemed to take it in and smile. I looked in the tin down onto a winter wonderland. Picks of snow, a mini Christmas tree, a snowman with a scarf and a hat, and Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer. I put my hand in to test the icing. Hang on, hang on, that's for later, said my mum, as Auntie, Auntie Bessie just smiled. But I was happy. I had found out that the icing had the same consistency as ice, only not freezing cold. Amazing. With the exception of my father, Christmas in our family seemed to be mainly for women and children. For the next to arrive were Auntie Lynn and Nana Wiley laden with packages and tins. Christmas was about to settle down in proper order. The, those parcels were for us kids and right now I was torn between enjoying the delicious smells coming out of the kitchen and wondering what was in such large packages. We'd definitely have to eat before I was allowed to open them and there'd be tea before that, perhaps sherry. It took me until I was over 50 to realise that not everyone expects tea when they arrive for Christmas dinner. A distant relative asked me if I was joking when I offered her a cup one Christmas morning in Middle England. No, dear lady, I was not. Finally, it was dinner time. My dad took the enormous foil covered turkey out of the oven and then made the gravy with bisto and some of the juices from the pan. My mum and my aunt mashed the potatoes and then the carrots and parsnips with plenty of butter and a bit of milk. Then we drained the sprouts. They plated the veg in the kitchen and we all squeezed around the table with our steaming plates in front of us, waiting for Dad to carve the turkey. We pulled our crackers, ate our dinner in silly paper hats, and finally it was time to open our presents. My job was to hand them out because I could read. Big baby dolls kitted out in hand-knitted clothes for me and my sister, a trike for my brother, pyjamas, slippers and socks for all. 
Auntie Bessie got his annuals, the Beano for me, Disney for my sister and Andy Pandy for my brother. Aunt Lynn got a large box of milk tray and Auntie Bessie a large black magic, very large, the size of a tea tray from someone called Santa. The milk tray had a Canadian snow scene on the lid. The black magic had the laboratory, can't say it, elaborately <laughs> tied red ribbon at a jaunty angle, set off against the black packaging, tasteful and elegant, just like Auntie Bessie. They would need help with the contents, so we helped. I ended the day cozied up under an eiderdown quilt, two wool blankets and carefully ironed cotton sheets, cuddled up to my baby doll, both of us in our new jammies, a hot water bottle at my feet and some black magic under my pillow in case I needed some magic in the middle of the night, which of course I would. Ah, great. Thanks very much for that, Susan. And uh, we didn't get into any recipes. What are you cooking up for uh, solstice yourself? Oh, today, this morning, I decanted. I have a whole, all sorts of drinks um, bubbling away at the minute. I have elderflower champagne from the summer. Um, I have cassis made um, from black currants. Um, I have mead. <laughs> oh, great. Uh, and I'm... Do, I've got the ginger beer plant going as well, so um, I'm going to have a jolly 21st. Well, it was lovely to have you and absolutely fabulous. Have a wonderful uh, solstice and through Christmas and uh, every success uh, last year. I'm going to put a link up uh, for your book. Uh, as Susan was saying in her Facebook, it's sold out at Amazon, but you can get it from the publishers. Well worth it. It's, it's a beautiful read. It'll bring back a lot of memories. So thank you very much, uh, Susan. Uh, that was Susan Farrell, and that's the book there, My Home Place uh, Inheritance. And uh, comments there are going backwards because Claire absolutely loved uh, Fergus's poem there. And uh, I didn't get out quick enough, so uh, thanks. So happy uh, little son, Dagda. There you go, from Claire. And there's Sherry. Uh, uh, story she loved uh, Susan I know she did last time uh, and even Claire's enjoyed Susan uh, as well uh, uh, the childhood yeah that's what I was saying typical it brings back lots of memories it's a lovely read very easy read very well uh, written and uh, as I say this uh, we better move on I was going to talk about uh, greenery um, but uh, I did talk about it a couple of weeks ago, but I whizzed because this is a great time during tradi uh, December traditions, um, green coming into our home. So there's a quick refresher for you. Uh, and it's part of your tradition some way. So we have the tree. That's probably already up and blessed already. Uh, symbol of the tree of life, uh, regenerating life. And then you get hanging your baubles uh, from it, uh, baubles representing apples. Uh, and the winter nutrition of apples, and some people slice them and hang them, uh, wonderful. And then on top of that, your chocolate coins. And I talked about the little bit of a sinister, sinister tradition, but the kids love grabbing them. And the presents below the tree, of course, help us to survive winter. Uh, the tree to bring us. Sometimes people say the spirits 
of our ancestors come in with a tree that we bring in and we're warming up our ancestors' spirits by the fires. And some say that the fairies in the tree are brought in to warm them up in the tree as well. Lovely little stories around that. And then we have, we have the circles of wreaths, uh, starting with willow, maybe hazel. Um, and we can do that before solstice. We can bring them in the home. But holly, ivy, mistletoe in the maybe lavender and rosemary as well to protect us. Uh, hanging on the door there to remind us that we're in a cycle. It's not a beginning or end. It's not a start of a new year. We're just in a cycle. And uh, different folklore. Uh, there's different folklore and rules, whatever, about what we can bring in the home. And there's a lot of churches still forbid greenery coming into our home. And there's one or two churches now and encouraging it and even bringing it into the churches. So we have the holly, ivy, and uh, mistletoe. There's some holly there. Uh, they all have uh, different versions of folklore. Uh, and either of them are hung outside. Some say the mistletoe's there to prevent damage from thunder and lightning. Some say that the ivy is there because being a female thing, there's a sort of a patriarchal thing that if you bring the ivy in, then the woman in the house it becomes the, the, the leader, the decision maker for the year. So <laughs> poor ivy is left on uh, the door. But um, there's this whole fear mongering about protecting from evil spirits too. But in the wild, uh, holly, uh, blah, 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 blah. the holly there is a plant for the job. The needles on its leaves, they distract lightning from hitting an oak. So if you've got the holly by the oak, uh, and the oak's the most vulnerable tree in the forest for lightning, put the holly there, and uh, the little needles, funnily enough, act as a conductor, and they can actually save an oak. Uh, so uh, what have I got here? No holly and ivy mistletoe in the holes before the point of solstice. Don't bring any green in before the post of solstice, point of solstice. That's supposed to be the tradition. And um, and a lot of traditions say, well, you can't bring the ivy in without the mistletoe being there. And the mistletoe must never, ever touch the ground. Let's give a mistletoe on the tree there. It mustn't touch the ground when harvested, catching the blanket, and that's where it falls. And the hanging of the mistletoe being for bonding, uh, even the... Uh, it's the bonding of male holly with a female ivy. And it's said that a mistletoe berry is picked for every kiss that's shared under the mistletoe. Anyway, I'm going to leave the... Um, oh, there's a Norse Freya story of mistletoe, but I'll share that in case someone tries to do it. No, I'm not going to share it, because if someone tries to do it at home... Uh, well, that's it. I'm going to leave the solstice greenery. And uh, because we got... Well, Maura, we seem to have lost the signal with Maura. Are you back? Yeah, Maura's back. And um, we're going to have your poem on in a, a minute or two. Uh, let's uh, get myself into position here. Uh, I don't think we've got any more comments. Uh, Donna Johnson, fascinating stories. Thank you. Uh, great. Yes. So, right. Um, Maura. Yes, let's get Maura on. Uh, and since she's got the signal back again, we had lost her for a minute. Uh, Maura Barrett. She came on with beautiful poetry last time as a guest, so it's an absolute delight uh, to have Maura back again. So let's say hello and welcome to uh, Maura. Maura Barrett. Hello, Maura. Maui, are you there? There she is. Hello. 
I've got my earphones on, haven't I? How you doing? Good afternoon. Hello. Any Hi, voice? Ah, we got yeah, the signal. We got your voice. Great. Right, there we go. I know that uh, you're, you've got a real challenge with the signal, but let's see uh, how we can see if we can uh, get through with this. And uh, if not, we'll try and get your poems in the front of people. But of course, it's the performed poem that is the supreme. So let's see how, how we manage with this. And thank you for being with us uh, to share uh, your poems. I think we're having a struggle. Yeah, we're not getting through, unfortunately. Oh. So sad, you, you said there would be a bit of a problem. I think we might have to let this one go and, and maybe try. We, uh, we are doing um, a first footing one next uh, Sunday. So maybe if you can be available in a better signal. I'm so sorry, because it was a lovely lead in to what I'm just about to present. So have a lovely solstice. Sorry we can't have the two-way conversation. Um, and I, I'm sorry for any disappointment, but it was lovely. At least we saw you. <laughs> all, <laughs> all the best and lots of love. Uh, we'll see you again. Right, well, that's. A, a, I know there was a struggle. She did warn me that there might be a signal problem, uh, more about it, but we'll try and get her on next Sunday. Uh, now, before I actually leave this, because we're I'm getting very close to the the hour, uh, I think, yes, there we go. And we're not doing too bad at all. Uh, and uh, the big thing at the moment, I think, with a lot of people, is the Jupiter-Saturn alignment and so if i can pick up a few pictures for that a few words about this amazing phenomenon that i have kind of joked about uh online there's this meme that's going around you know it's the first time for 800 years uh but uh for a lot of people there might be a cloud <laughs> over the sky to run eye. the actual forecast is not bad for here we've got a showery cloudy Solstice sunrise forecasted here tomorrow. And I think, unfortunately, Dewgrange is sitting with that at the moment. But as the day goes on, it's supposed to become quite sunny and clear. So it should be clear for Ireland tomorrow night to get this phenomenon, this Jupiter-Saturn conjunction. Um, but it's not just tomorrow. The influence is over a wide peak. Anybody who does the astrology, they, they know it's not. there's not a sort of a set moment. There's not a conversion. There is a a slow transition that fills into it. But before I go into the solstice timing around here, strictly, as I say, it's not one day. Uh, the sunset, uh, the sunset itself has been set at the same time for about 12 days up until tomorrow. So the sunset stays still for 12 days up until tomorrow. And also for three days after. Hence, I think, probably why we have a Christmas Day, they say, three days later. Uh, sunrise stays still at the same time for uh, for 15 days after. So you've got this 15-day business uh, from 12 days before now 
up until Christmas Day. And then from the solstice, you've got the um, sunrise that's still for 15 days up until Epiphany. So you have those three days uh, from the solstice to pretty much Christmas Day where there's no movement. And I think that's the big part of the celebration. So from Christmas Day evening, the sunset starts getting later, but the morning sunrise uh, doesn't get early until the epiphany. If that all makes any kind of sense, I haven't got any diagrams for that. Anyway, I've got some more geek info for you. The moment of solstice uh, is 10 to a.m. in the morning here. The exact moment of the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction is 6.38 p.m. in the evening. So that's about eight hours, eight and a half hours after the solstice moment. And it's happening, and this is what's got people excited. At zero degrees, 51 minutes into Aquarius is when the peak conjunction moment happens. Anyway, there's good viewing. Let's get some pictures up. Uh, clear evenings now until the Wednesday evening, the 23rd of December. And the best viewing is for an hour and 30 minutes uh, after sunset. And... Uh, yeah, for about 30 minutes after an hour after sunset. And that's near where the sunset actually happens. Uh, so look on your southwestern sky. The conjunct will look like two separate dots with Jupiter being the far bright one. Let's see if I got something here. You've probably seen that. That's pretty much what it would look like. They may be closer together. When I've been looking, they look a bit closer together than in that sky. Uh, so in... Uh, well, I suppose it had to be to get a photograph. It had to be an earlier day, didn't it? But uh, here in Ireland, the best viewing time today, tomorrow, 4.40 to 5.30 each evening, and for the UK too. So look for it, 4.40 to 5.30 from now until Wednesday. Good chance of us seeing here. Uh, it might be this evening. It might not cloud over. So we might see it this evening. Tomorrow evening, I think definitely, and Tuesday evening, uh, it's great. I think the only time we're going to be disappointed with the cloud over will be the Monday Monday evening. So there's lots of definitions uh, of this Jupiter-Saturn conjunction from the upbeat to the fear-mongering, end-of-the-world stuff, of course. Uh, I've totally forgetting that sky observations, really, if you uh, they're into ma it's mapping. It's a craft of mapping and navigation. It isn't actually a puppeteering kind of thing, which is a lot of clairvoyance and fortune tellers might tell you. So even so, the images of Jupiter and Saturn together for me are like two keys. Uh, the way I imagine it, because you take the astrological imagery from Saturn and the imagery from Jupiter, to me it's like playing two keys next to each other. Have you tried that on a piano? Play the two keys next to each other. That reminds me of Jupiter and Saturn. Or in a, maybe a simpler definition, like a fart in a spacesuit. So Saturn, with the symbolism of structure, configuration, and conformity, is there with Jupiter with a symbolism of break free, no limits, larger than life. Uh, has anybody been watching the Just Relief Wolf, Wolfwalkers? Excellent animation uh, brought to by the uh, cartoon studio, um, Wonderful work that they do, Song of the Sea and uh, Spirit of Kells. And in Wolfwalkers, uh, there's Cromwell, the Lord Protector, with his insistence on servitude, conformity, and banishing anything in the way of that. And then there's the, his hunter's daughter who senses life 
and what's going on with the flow. And that's very much the running theme through uh, that film. And though there is a beautiful underlying theme in most, this is the theme in most of the uh, uh, cartoon saloon movies, I find it. They've got that running theme of the conformity, even Book of Kells. Uh, it's the, uh, the monastery and the walls and build the walls higher, keep the Vikings out. And then there's the Ashling and the freedom of all that. So I think that's the theme of theirs. And many folks uh, seem to be proclaiming the Solstice Conjunction event is the start of the age of Aquarius. And again, I don't think there's an exact point. Uh, let's see if I can get this one up. Here you go. There it is. The two of them there, if you take the imagery of the um, Jupiter and Saturn, just here, there, with it's 029 into Aquarius. And many people start, you think this, um, well, some people thought the age of Aquarius started in 1844. And there's been all kinds of events since then. And people have been pronouncing, it's the start of the age of Aquarius. There was a lot in the 60s about that. But these changes are traditional. Uh, tr get it right, should take them more water. Transitional things, not dated events. And one thing I think many of us have become aware of, of course, is the reaction to the COVID, unfortunately. And several seem to have gone into conspiracy journeys and they're wanting a new order, and that seems quite Saturn. And others have followed with the flow of realigning themselves. Beautiful stories of what people have been doing, looking at their gardens, looking at their woodlands, looking at their communities, the forestry, energy saving, animal work, all this contemplating and writing about it too. To me, that's very Jupiter. But you might, as an astrologer, you might define it the other way around. But I think it's interesting seeing, uh, I shouldn't do an us and them, but I've, it's interesting watching those two approaches is what is this new normal? Uh, what is the, all this conspiracy? Are we being puppeteered into this? Or, wow, there's this stuff we've been promising ourselves for years. So that's my rant. Um, but another fascination uh, that's in some studies of astrology, that any planets beyond Saturn are ignored as they are not seen with the naked eye. So 10 signs are shared as a negative or positive um, with five of the planets. And Cancer gets the moon, Leo gets the sun. But what this does here, and uh, bring this back up again, is this the right one? I think it is. And so this gives the Pisces negative Jupiter, because Jupiter, if it doesn't have... Um, uh, if Pisces doesn't have Pi, uh, it doesn't have Neptune, which is what modern astrologers have done. It's the uh, negative Jupiter, and Capricorn has the negative Saturn. But here they are in conjunction, sitting in Aquarius, in between the two, in between the Capricorn and the Pisces. And Aquarius is actually um, a, the positive uh, Saturn. Anyway, interpret that as you will, but I find that fascinating that there they are sitting between those two. So my summing up of all this, I think, um, is mapping, a delightful mapping for transition from the darkening part of the annual cycle back into the increasing light part of the new cycle. And then we'll have substantial fertility, lots of new growth taking place, and Jupiter can influence opportunities. Saturn, perhaps, with Jupiter sitting there, can prevent 
the temptation of greed, stagnation hopefully will be discouraged, and so will be wasted excess or excess wasted. Anyway, <laughs> excuse me. <coughs> Overall, I think this is a lovely influence. This Jupiter Saturn thinks a lovely influence on Earth warriors. Lovely mapping for them where they can see the way motivation for us to be more community rather than compete for individualism. And I think we can live with that, do you? Anyway, let's see what you've got to say. That's, I think that's enough of my rant for that. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing Wolfwalkers. It's now available. Apple, if you can get hold of Apple TV, um, yeah, obviously that plays on an Apple device. If anybody has upgraded their phone in the last year or so, you've got a free year anyway that uh, you're welcome to. If not, and you can get hold of an Apple, there's a seven-day free period. Um, I don't know. I don't think it's gone to any of the streaming services, but it will very soon. Well, and of course, the best of all, although there are restrictions, but if there is very good kind of um, – how can I say, is keeping people separate. Um, local cinema, it can't be the big screen for that if you can get to do that. But you'll all, all get around to that. And there's uh, Donna, fascinating stories. Thank you. Uh, so where do we stand now? Now, during these, uh, uh, I'm coming, uh, we, we're sort of running out, aren't I? Oh, we're not too bad, five past, better than I am usually. Well, during these Sunday sessions, there was always a lot that I leave out um, and uh, partially to make room for the guests. And we had an absolutely delightful guest uh, today, didn't we? Uh, I've got something. I, I know what i got there. Right. Uh, so now, as you know, each week I say I'm creating the She Water and Tree Folklore. Hope to get some of the course um, tu uh, tutorials out in January. And uh, a lot of the stuff that I cut out is going to be in those tutorials. And um, for a while, I'm not charging actual course fees, but I invite you to describe, uh, to, uh, subscribe to the course. And uh, to do that, uh, it's, I, I'm doing this through the Patreon. And uh, this, uh, I should have my Patreon link here. There we go. A uh, bit of publicity there. Uh, you can do this through the Patreon page uh, for the course. Uh, pound, euro, or dollar a month or more, and the links also over the Karakori Cottage website. And uh, the Karakori Labyrinth Gardens, the, these Sunday sessions, I have to pay subscriptions so I can give you these uh, photographs and all the rest of it. And this is helped by your subscriptions, donations, and keeps the whole thing going. So I thank you for your support. Several of you there are already subscribers that are watching regularly. And thank you, because this is it does enable me to continue and share these uh, projects. I'm a bit of a shoestring, really. Anyway, the upcoming course media will always be increasing podcasts, videos, slides, ebooks, and then we'll get together in little Zoom circles later on. And there'll be some optional projects and assignments for you to have a go at. And I'll message you more when you subscribe. So thank you for being subscribers and keeping this uh, show going. Uh, one more look at the comments here. Uh, Sherry, uh, thank you so much for all you do. Thank you for all, often being on board, uh, Sherry. Thank you so much. Um, 
let's get rid of that at the moment because I've got some more stuff. Sunday sessions, as I say, next Sunday, uh, we've got um, back to some pictures here. Uh, we've got uh, preparing for first footing, and I'm going to have wassailing as well, which I had to cut out a couple of weeks ago. Wassailing is really from Epiphany, blessing the apple trees as well. But uh, the Scottish first footing is quite a variation. But I think we can all engage in what first footing really means. So more of that, that's going to be uh, next December. I won't have all the gear. So this is going to be very casual uh, on the 27th. bit different um, from the first footing traditions that faded away. Anyway, it's a lot to do with our affirmations and how we share and a lot to do with our fellowship with one another. Anyway, 3rd of January. Um, uh, that's going to be a Sunday sessions, casual session, introduction to the year ahead. I'm going to be changing things about. Hopefully, we'll have more guests and more of the stuff I've been talking about will be transferring to the course so that we I don't go from an hour, hour and a half, two, two and a half hours, which could happen with the way stuff's mounting up. So we'll go through this first week, 3rd of January. And then on the following one, if I've got that, we've got divination. This is not going to be the Owen divination. It's going to be divination in general. That's going to be on the 10th of January. So uh, one more last look uh, to see uh, what you're all uh, saying here. And we've got Sherry. Stories are so precious. Thank you. And uh, then Kate, ancestors emigrated from your area 150 years ago. None of these stories, precious to me. And the one thing about the stories um, as well, and I do get questioned of it because I wasn't born in Ireland, obviously. And so I was picking up stories from various places, uh, certainly Yorkshire. I was in Somerset for four years and uh, lived a race family on the Inner Hebrides, Isle of Mull. Picked up a lot from there and uh, had retreats. You see where the berg and the um, waterfall I showed you earlier, we actually had retreats where we, we actually slept behind the waterfalls in the caves there. And this old baguano that's thousands of years old, and it's like a springy mattress. So I was picking those stories. And then Donegal, I cycled. I used to cycle a lot here because I employed, in the 70s, I employed men from Sligo and uh, Donegal. And I would come over. There was a boat that ran from the, Hebrides and Auburn, and it would take men backwards and forwards uh, to Ireland. So I put my bike. It was a uh, like a hovercraft type of thing, and uh, and I would go around and pick up the stories. And it was amazing. If you get the boat from the Inner Hebrides to Donegal, it's as if the two countries are the same. So my stories are a fusion of a time. I think you know Scotland is really a new name. Ireland is quite a new name. This was Scotia once upon a time to some people. It was the area to other people. And so you've got this emergence, and I must admit, uh, that's how my stories are, that I do tend to merge what I've been told by storytellers. So I'm not very good with the books. And I, I, I suppose I've been doing this since about six years old, picking this stuff up. So thank you for your appreciation of that. Good morning from Boston, Kimberly, uh, and thanks for catching up. So I better go. I better go. Uh, wish you all uh, a lovely, uh, fabulous uh, solstice and uh, through the Christmas and whatever fellowship you're managing to do. Thank you again, uh, Susan Farrell, Fergus Hogan, and I did like for more uh, 
who was kind of miming there. Um, and thank you. It was lovely to see you, even though we might not have uh, heard you. And uh, let's get back to something very serious here. Uh, so thank you again, all of you. Uh, please keep those of you uh, just watching now and people that are watching the archives, keep commenting here uh, after it's live. I'm going to keep looking. I'll answer your comments. Um, please subscribe. There's bell icons, I think, both on Facebook and YouTube now. And that will remind you of details of the Sunday sessions coming up. Thank you again. Uh, enjoy a safe week full of wonder, inspiration, all through your celebrations and enchantments. Happy and blessed celebration for your Yule tomorrow. The moment again, 10-2 here, 10-2 in the morning, 2-2 uh, in the morning for Pacific people, Mountain Time, 3-0-2, Central, 4-0-2, Eastern, 5-0-2. So now, until next Sunday, play well, and it's, uh, if I get it, it's... Uh, Bye from me. Bye-bye.